I feel like I'm having deja vu. How do you mean? Film and television have become a huge market, and because of that, trends have developed, or formulas. So studios analyze and figure out what people like, and then they want to make stuff similar to those things that people like to attract a specific demographic. There are dozens of shows and movies that have already started to look alike because of these studio analytics and trends. The mistake production studios make by imitating the style of what is popular or trendy is assuming that the style itself was the instrument of its success that the specific style was the reason it was good, and that is why they made money off of it. But to truly stand out, you have to take risks. It is safer to blend into the trend, yet it's riskier in every way, especially monetarily for studios, to make something as bold as this show. But the value in shows like Dark prove that distinguished creativity stands against the popular swing of what is trending. And usually, those examples that break the popular swing tend to become the new trends, and then in the future, as we look back in hindsight, become a monument to what sparked that new trend or popularity. On this podcast, we like most things pop culture, some of us more than others, us being me and others being gay. Mostly Steve. Yeah. But the stuff we really like to geek out about on this podcast are the things that break those trends that are happening currently. So before we start, I just want to say that because this is something that really breaks the trend of what is popular these days. In many ways. With that being said, it's impossible to talk about this show because of those reasons without spoilers. So here, right at the beginning of the podcast, is a crazy, fat, big spoiler warning. If you haven't watched the show, go watch it. We can't recommend it enough. In unison, there are five people here to talk about it because we all think it's good. If you don't care about spoilers, you can listen and you'll be like, that sounds crazy. It sounds like a crazy show. <laughs> it's hard to explain if you've never seen it. We're all serious. You should go watch it. Spoilers now. Spoiler warning. I feel like I'm having Are we live? We're live right now. It's Saturday night. It's Friday, but... It's Friday night. <laughs> live from... Stephen's living room. <laughs> it's Friday night. I feel like I'm having deja vu. Why? There's never been this assortment of people in this room before. I think it's a glitch in the Matrix. Oh. <laughs> I think they say Matrix. A glitch in the Matrix. So this is the Ultra Mega Cast. We have five people with us here today. Never been done before. Including you and me, Gabe. You and I. Us. Plus three. We're a perfect match. We plus three. Who else is here? We have series regular, Allie Burnett. Hi there. <laughs> Friend of the show, Kristen Burnett. I could be a series regular. Come on, Gabe. Yeah. She was on the Midsommar podcast. And then Bryce is... Say hi, Bryce. Hey, Bryce. Hey, Bryce. <laughs> Bryce is back. What are we doing today? What are we doing today? Yeah. We're doing Dark. Dark the show from Netflix. Netflix's own German production. The critically acclaimed three seasons of Dark. I was going to say the third season just came out and it finished. Yeah. It's over now. So we can talk about the whole show. Sad to see it go. As a complete work. You're a complete work. (laughs) That's not true. Got (laughs) him. That's that's the most ridiculous thing I think you've ever said. We're not complete works. We're always in progress. Oh. Think about it. But isn't work progress? Well, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> when is a person a complete work? Is it when they've passed away? Well, just look at me. <laughs> Bryce is completely finished. <laughs> Bryce was from the Rise of Skywalker podcast, by the way, for listeners yeah. that want to hear more of Bryce. I enjoyed that one. Cool. That was a fun cast. Anyway, so we're going to do Dark today. Nice. We're going to go really dark. Really dark. Dun, dun, dun. The show's dark in every sense of the word. Yeah, that's true. The lighting is dark. It's thematically dark. I'm having deja vu. Why? Because I think it's a glitch in the matrix. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> How many times are you going to do I'm going to say that over and over throughout the whole podcast. I'm looking forward to it. And every time, it's going to be me asking what? <laughs> I think I'm having deja vu. What do you mean? Oh, my gosh. It's a glitch in the matrix. In the matrix? I'm going to tear up thinking about the end of the show.
normally break down the history of the show and how it was made and all the analytics before we begin in the discussion. So we're going to do that now. <laughs> I thought we... We're not breaking from tradition. <laughs> Seems like you were introducing that to maybe not do that. I don't know. <laughs> we're not breaking any trends here. We're not changing it up. And the people, the people involved and... The show creators. I think it's like their singular vision. Baran... What's his name? Baran Bo Odar and Jan Shefrische. They're the showrunners of this show and i don't think they're married at least they didn't maybe they got married throughout the making of this they're show. at least partners they're partners they have a yeah. kid together but they are the two showrunners of this show and they've worked good. together on some other productions locally in germany before they did some really good stuff together and then netflix got a hold of them because of that and then when they were trying to find figure out a show to pitch to netflix they had a crime drama that they were gonna pitch and then they were already working on a film that had time travel in it but the cards were on the table literally next to each other time travel and like crime drama and they thought let's just put those two things together and that's crime how the show yeah <laughs> crime travel <laughs> and that's how the show was time drama or time drama and that's really i think the feel of the first episode if not the first season is a sort of a crime story for sure a, a mystery yeah. drama and then it morphs from there Trime. yeah by the end of the show it's completely different yeah it's evolved anyway Kristen's going to read a basic summary plot of the whole show. Here we go. There are a couple dozen main characters, but there are three big ones. Their names are Jonas, Marta, and Claudia. Jonas and Marta are high school age when we first meet them, and over the course of the show and much rigorous time travel become lovers and as older folk eventually become enemies and adopt the names Adam and Eve. When they were still young, the original Marta slash Eve dies and another one shows up from a parallel world. The Jonas slash Adam from the first world and the Marta slash Eve from the second world have a love child that travels back in time and becomes the father of almost half of the small town of Winden and most of the main characters we come to know in the show. Adam and Eve become bitterly entangled in this vicious cycle of Adam trying to end the world because of all the pain he's experienced and Eve trying to save it for the love of their child. The third major main character, Claudia, realizes she does not descend from Adam and Eve's child and realizes a potential way to end the madness. Major spoilers here. Yes, major spoilers right here. Major spoilers reporting video. Yeah, major spoilers. In the last episode of the show, Claudia also realizes that the two parallel worlds should not even exist. That they only exist because of an event that occurred in a third world, which is actually the original world. For the sake of this recap, we will call it Earth Prime. The younger aged and less jaded Jonas and Marta get intercepted from continuing their vicious cycle and decide to cross time and space to stop this event in Earth Prime. They stop it. And then are erased out of existence along with the two parallel worlds and all of the other main characters that were fathered from their child. That is what happens in Dark. It's so true. That was a good little That's a summary. pretty good summary. I can't believe you actually... Honestly, did you write that? some of it I yeah, still I don't that. understand. That's like <laughs> so hard to synthesize it all into a paragraph. I think, I think that's pretty good. a very appropriate considering the third season. Because, I mean, what's touched on in the first season, in especially like with the mystery that instigates this whole thing, isn't even in that synopsis. Right. I mean, all that information you don't get until the third season. So you're saying that their child begins the cycle. Their child. Mm-hmm. I thought their child is the Trinity child that keeps killing people. Their child yeah. sleeps with Agnes Nielsen. Yeah, who then begets Tronte, and, and then everyone comes from that, as well as Noah's line. And then there's a lot of incestuousness because of them traveling through time and stuff. So it like all kind. But of, it never showed the Trinity dude. It was implied. With Agnes. It was yeah. implied. They, when, they said it, but it wasn't shown. She said her husband was a man of God. By the way, you have to be a genius to figure out this show. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's not true. true very high IQ. Honestly, yeah. you do have to have a higher IQ or look things up on the internet, to be honest. There's a lot of interesting material. There, there's a website developed for the show where you can track the family tree and everything is explained pretty well if you have trouble when 
watching the show. It helped me a lot. Yeah. I read that. I didn't find out about it until the last episode, so (laughs) (laughs) it would have been very helpful earlier on. Even more interesting than the family tree is kind of a diagram that's developed over the course of the episodes uh, with loops and stuff, so you can see in a general way where the time travel is taking place, like a figure eight over the course of time. Well, Stephen gave me a dark hack, which is basically when the scene changes, it does this thing where the whole screen will shrink, and then it goes into a different world, Mm -hmm. and then when the scene changes and it ticks they're just going into a different time Mm -hmm. so that does help for you watchers of the show who haven't watched it yet you should look out for that in the third season it does help to know that yeah and it happens all throughout the show but just with the clock tick and it's a genius move by the editors makers of the show that they put those little nuances in there to indicate to the viewer that this is what's happening and it's something i didn't even notice until the third season until Mm. they added the new transition yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's because it's more jarring i think yeah definitely and it's probably the cheesiest thing in the show actually is that little transition yeah Yeah, because i told i told steven i didn't like it and he was like actually there's a reason for that (laughs) and i was like obviously i didn't know speaking of reasons i wanted to explain why the show is actually called dark before we continue. So it's called dark because the manner of time travel in the show is based off of the science of quantum physics and dark matter or antimatter. The show also calls this the god particle, which is actually something completely different from dark matter. The god particle was a particle that just found to exist recently that is in between the positive matter or just matter that we know and see that holds the particles together. It was predicted by Peter Higgs in the 1960s and then in 2012, while the Large Hadron Collider in France and Switzerland was trying to prove string theory, they discovered the god particle energy that Higgs predicted almost 40 years previously, and they named it the Higgs boson. Peter Higgs won the Nobel Prize in 2013 at the age of 84, almost 40 plus years later. He's now 91. Anyway, dark and antimatter is something completely different that has to do with crossing into other dimensions besides the three that we can see and that we can touch and feel in our world that we live in. But in the show, this is the matter they use to travel through time and space. It is also applicable to the tone and the themes in the show, much like Lost it's applicable to not only the character's physical location on planet Earth, but their internal selves. So dark matter isn't just theoretical, it's actually... It's an Einstein theory. In quantum physics, dark matter is like this massive conundrum that nobody can figure out. The whole idea is that if there's matter, then there should be an equal amount of dark matter. Hmm. And no one can find it. But they theoretically think that it exists and they've been trying to find it the idea with string theory it was to find the existence of these tiny vibrating wobbly strings that make up quarks quarks that make up protons that make up the nucleus of an electron that make up atoms that make up the molecules that make up everything and so if they can find those strings which is why it's called string theory that will complete so to speak the fundamental conventional reach of physics then they can start applying string theory to finding dark matter. Because if strings make up quarks, which make up all these bigger particles, then you can apply that same science to the discovery of dark matter. Anyway, science. Really interesting. Anyway, it's called dark because of those two things. And I love the lost analogy because lost was, in Damon Lindelof's words, It's not just that they're physically lost on this island, it's because they were all lost in their lives before they met each other. And in Dark, it's very similar. It's not only does that have to do with the physical aspect of the fact that they're dealing with antimatter and dark matter, but it has to do with the darkness that is looming over this town. The darkness inside them. They're all interconnected the way that Lost is. It's like you find out that they're connected to each other somehow. Multi-generational trauma. I feel like I'm having deja vu. What do you mean? So continuing a little bit with a couple little facts about the show. It's the first German show ever that you can stream worldwide in 190 countries, which is really cool. And I think Netflix took a big risk there in just making this show because of the fact that it's German and it's in a German native language and it's better to watch it in the German language, I think, because the English dubbing is pretty bad. It's always bad. Yeah. It's just so good to actually watch in German and just get used to reading the subtitles. It only takes, I think, a few episodes to get used to. I think a few minutes even. So along with the similarities with Lost, people stopped watching it once they stopped understanding. And I think with Dark, it's very similar that if you don't understand, it's easy to stop watching 
So don't, those of you that are listening, don't stop. It is stop. less easy to be distracted, though, just because you have to be watching it. It's not a show you can watch you with your phone You have to be reading up. subtitles, yeah. But it's also more work. Yeah, it is a lot of work emotionally and physically. I've heard, actually, even from people online talking about the show, that it's better to binge than to let time pass between seasons. Specifically just cause, just with Dark? The, just because of the complexity. Yeah, of, for sure, yeah. See, I don't know if I agree with that. I think, and I would use a show like Lost for comparison, is that a show with such complexity might be better to sit on and mull over for a week. Like if we had those water cooler conversations still in 2020, where you could talk about theories with your friends and sort of dive into the show. If you're the type of person that mulls it over, which not many people are. And I guess the only thing is like, yeah, a week, but waiting a year, you'd probably have to rewatch this one you would show. definitely have to rewatch. Yeah, if I could watch the whole show, if all 26 episodes came out weekly, that'd be great. Maybe we'd have to watch some of the earlier ones by the end, but yeah, having to wait a year would be really hard with a show that's so convoluted. Yeah, I rewatched I season one before the second season came out just because it's helpful to remember the connections. You didn't draw a map on your wall or pin yeah. pictures? And yeah, this is, this is the kind of show, like, that's what I was thinking the whole time while watching it. There's no way this could have been made without an entire wall with a bunch of strings on it and pictures of people, just like there is in the show. Mm-hmm. Like, the creators of the show had to have all these strings up, because that's what's so great about the show, is almost every single episode you find out, like, a new connection with two characters you didn't think were previously connected, mm-hmm. and you never saw it coming. At least for the most part, every single connection that came was just a complete surprise. My whole studio apartment is covered in notes from the uh. show. It was like Charlie Day, the Pepe Sylvia. There is no Pepe Sylvia. The showrunners said about this show that they wanted to bring the big screen to the small screen. They were really adamant about the cinematography. And then likewise, they said when casting all the characters, they had 72 characters to cast. Oh my God. And their main objective was they wanted to find the perfect faces because they had to create these families and these branches, which I think they did a great job doing. I know. By the way, A-plus casting, if you all are listening, wonderful casting. They did find some perfect faces. There's some very beautiful people in this show. I genuinely thought some of the older people were just the younger people in like old person makeup. Yeah. It was so good. Or like a family member. Like specifically the old Ulrich. I'm (laughs) fairly certain it still might be him in old person (laughs) makeup. It's not. I think they're unrelated. I think the only one, there were a couple casting decisions that were actual family members. Really? Yeah, for instance, Peter Doppler and his past self, it was played by his son. Oh, really? Interesting. Very cool. Huh. And that's why he looked exactly like him. But the rest of the casting, I think that was the only one that I knew of that was actual family. But no, the older Ulrich was just a... Ulrich. Or the younger Hannah. I mean, that looks... And yeah. The, and the Claudias. The older Claudias together hugging each other. Mm-hmm. Was, oh, yeah. Especially when her hair was all really, frizzy and white. Yeah. yeah. What is she called? The the White Witch? The White Devil. The Weiss and the white Devil. I just want to give a couple shout outs to some of the people that worked on this amazing piece of art. The showrunners, like we said, are Baren Bo Odar and Yanche Frische. And you can look up those names to learn how they're spelled. <laughs> the music, which is amazing, by the way, and we'll talk about this in a second. Yes. Is done by Ben Frost. Amazing stuff. He's done some other really good stuff in, in his pass if you want to look up his imdb uh, the production design which is top notch is done by an individual named udo kramer and then the art direction is by two people one is stefan hauk hauk and michael fisnider fisnider Anyway, I just wanted to shout those people out because they're probably instrumental in all the visuals that you're seeing, which are all amazing visuals throughout the whole show. And you have to create such a distinct style across the time periods, too. Yeah, and they did a really good job of breaking that up. And in the first season, at least across time periods, it's really, really evident. But then there's different worlds introduced in the third season. and Where they use hairstyles very well. They use hairstyles, and there's always a differentiating factor between the characters, whether it be, yeah, color of the hair or like a scar on the face. Face, especially with Marta when you start to see different versions of her within hours of each other one with a scar one without and whatnot they did a really good job of that it's just impossible to keep track of I don't yeah know the makeup it. was on point too. yeah there was a lot of makeup artists so I didn't want to list them all but shout out to those individuals it's such an important part of it is. filmmaking Let's get into 
what we all thought about this show and why it was impactful and why it was artful. To start it off, I'll just say this. It starts off with a similar premise to Stranger Things. That's a comparison a lot of people make. And I think that's because Netflix said this is what's trendy right now, like I was saying before. Marketing. But very quickly, by the end of the first episode, you understand that there is a lot more going on. And then by the end of the first season, it's a completely different show entirely. It also deals a lot more with adults than children from the outset. Well, the writing was a lot more mature overall. Yeah. But it does have a lot of similar elements, especially in the first season. Missing boy. Even the 80s timeline. Demi Gorgon. When the showrunners were asked, like, you know, you probably heard this show is very similar to Stranger Things. They're like, yeah, for sure it was. And like, we're okay with that because the Duffer Brothers and us were all influenced by the same things. Like they're influenced by Stephen King. We like Stephen King. And we're okay with that. It's coming from the same place. So I thought that was really cool. Instead of them being really against it, they kind of embraced it. That's cool. Yeah. It's certainly its own entity, though. I like Stranger Things, but then when I actually started it, it was a lot more. And what would you say now, if you had to describe it to someone that hasn't seen it, what would you say that it is? I think I would just say it's... It's dark. It's a really unique cinematic experience that deals with character development in a really profound way. And... It's about time. I wouldn't want to say too much. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Like, it's so hard to talk about this show without spoiling anything because I, mm-hmm. I went in just based on Gabe's recommendation. He didn't tell me anything about it besides the fact that it was good. I didn't even know it was about time travel. And if you watch, I think the first two episodes, I don't think time travel is really revealed until the third episode of the first season. Right. I'm pretty sure they yeah. go back to the 80s. Yeah, I think you're right. That revelation was so huge for me. And I watched it with my parents for them as well. And then going into the rest of the first season, I think that. That's what sort of sets the show apart, and this is how I would describe it to somebody, is that no other show out there gives and holds back information so tactfully as mm-hmm. this show. Like mm-hmm. every new, especially in the first two seasons, a little bit less so in the third, yeah, but in the first two, you find out so much in every episode, but that doesn't really answer every question you had because then 10 more questions come up. It's just yeah. so genius. I think what made me so emotionally drawn to the show was how interconnected the characters were yeah. and the familial ties. And when you first get that connection between Jonas and Mikkel and finding out that Mikkel is Jonas's <laughs> dad, I was just so intrigued by that concept and so interested in where they were going with that. And that's really what truly like began that emotional journey for me with the characters and really wanting to know how this family plays out. Yeah. yeah. And when you find out that Charlotte is both the mother and the daughter of her daughter. <laughs> She's her own grandma. She's her own grandma. Yeah. That's true. You guys ever wake up and realize you're in love with your aunt or uncle? No. <laughs> yes, I have. And then just realize, it. we're going to have sex anyway. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. They were a perfect match. What is determinism? <laughs> Predestination. It's essentially that everything is determined, and the show deals a lot with determinism, um, the idea of free will and responsibility, all those different age-old themes the show deals with in a really interesting way. But determinism specifically, you follow these characters, and they all feel like they have these original ideas, how it's all playing out. They think that they're doing something for the first time. When it ends up being that everything is cyclical, one action is perpetuating the other, one character is perpetuating the other that also ties into the multi-generational trauma that happens throughout the show where you see these different generations and they're all dealing with these really heavy traumatic issues whether it's losing a child losing a parent the show deals with suicide with rape all of these really traumatic experiences that are all interconnected within the same family. But the idea that everything is determined or whether people have free will is something the show goes through a lot. I think that my least favorite part of the show is when Jonas cannot shoot himself. Because I feel like one of the things in the show that's fascinating but also frustrating to me is determinism itself. This is Phenomenology 101, the study of what is and matter and being. And in reality, it is always changing over time, and that is the process of becoming. And so that reality is always changing. So one of the most confusing things about this show, and also the most interesting, is that you have 
this study of what is, because what is cannot really be changed because it's happening now and all things are happening presently, but also the past exists and the future exists, and you get into this zone where you start thinking about, can you change the past? Because you have that question from all the characters in the show, can we actually change what happens? If you notice, nothing actually gets changed until they go back and change the fact that time travel actually exists. And the reason that they change that is they basically quote unquote heal someone's wound by not allowing his children to die. But nothing else gets changed in the whole entire show except for that moment and the characters are running around in this mini universe trying to be like we have to make everything happen the way that it happens but isn't that just a picture of how we are existentially where we go around trying to make sure that we're doing everything right and that things are happening the way they're supposed to be happening And that we're in control of our own lives. Yeah. That's really interesting. I never thought about that. It is a very good picture of that. That moment I did not like because I felt like it was almost too deterministic. Well. He can't kill himself because his older self exists. Yeah, I think that that was just a law, a rule that they put in the show to kind of explain why they couldn't go backward and why I they were why they were stuck that. in this cycle i think that was it's just something they came up they with. did show it at least one point before too the first time you ever see this like like actual fadedness play out is when i think it's in the first or second season when noah dies yeah noah gets shot by adam i think noah tries to shoot adam but he can't do it the gun doesn't work and then yeah. agnes takes the gun from him and yeah and then Jonas, in a later point, tries to hang himself and then yep. gets interrupted by somebody. Yeah, I would prefer it to happen more like that yeah. rather than just a trigger not working. You right, know, that's right. sort of too easy. I, I know. But I mean. but I like that they showed that because guns are such an instant kill yeah. that they also went so far to explain that guns just don't work. Yeah. You know, something... Just because fate intervenes. Exactly. Yeah. Well, exactly. But it almost introduces almost like a super powerful being who yeah. stops something from happening because it happens later on which I feel like is too simplistic for this show I think it was trying to be synonymous with what they introduced earlier I forget the name of it but remember when they talked about it was like a theory where if something is passed down through the generation you can't trace its existence bootstrap paradox similar yeah Yeah. the bootstrap paradox yeah Yeah. so similar to Charlotte and they talked about it in the example of the book yeah there's never a beginning yeah and so if Jonas already exists and Mikkel continually goes back in time. Jonas can't die if Adam is already doing this in the future. Things that like spring up out of existence without any origin is yeah. kind of what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it becomes so cyclical that it's the beginning and the end, right? Everything's connected. It's the same theme that goes throughout. What is that actual saying? The theme of the show? The end is the beginning. The beginning is the end. Das Ende ist der Anfang. Und der Anfang ist das Ende. <laughs> There it is. I think that's it. It's a cool thing. Is that really it? I think so. Do you know German? I know a little bit. (laughs) Rosetta Stone, yes. My name is Bryce and no, I have German. My name is Bryce. I watch the dog. (laughs) There are a lot of items in the show you can track over the course of the show like that. And a lot of them do have a specific point of origin. Like the book is created by the origin. You have Charlotte's stopwatch. You have the gun. St. Christopher. Yeah, St. Christopher's pendant. You have a lot of items over the course of the show. Yeah, the time machine plans. And I think even with the people in the show, there are points of origin, and it's only at the split of the prime world, in quotes, that creates these two worlds that you have this unexplainable origin, this phenomenon that's created, where the one world splits into two, and then these characters spontaneously exist. But after that, all these characters are born, and the cycle is maintained to exist in a way that everything has a beginning and an end. So What's confusing is that they have an origin, Jonas and Marta. However, the pendant itself and certain items in the show, what was the other thing you were mentioning? The time machine. And Charlotte's stopwatch. Oh, and the book, A Journey Through Time is what it's called. I think it's Claudia that brings the book to... The author. The author. But he hasn't written it. So he never actually writes it. So it comes of nothing. In a way. Right. Yeah. That's the idea with the time machine plans, too. She gives him the time machine plans, and he wouldn't have been able to make the time machine if she hadn't come from the future to give him those. I feel like the writer of this show is possibly a nihilist. It ends in hope, though. Hopeful nihilism. I feel like the writer of the show is a hopeful nihilist. And it's the unlikely characters who live on, which I think is also really interesting. Or they could just be really creative people making these characters up. You don't have to necessarily 
necessarily reduce them to being nihilists is what I'm saying. That's not a reduction necessarily for me. It's more of an interest. Is it a production? Mm-hmm. Is it a balsamic reduction? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's an interesting idea, but I think that they're probably not. I think they're probably just like creative people. Oh, but consider that at the end of the show, your main characters literally disintegrate into the atmosphere. But it's seen as a hopeful thing. You're, so you're they're right. hopeful nihilists. And yeah. I think that there are people like that in the world. They might not be nihilists, but they think about Nihilistic nihilism. things. It is so weird that the end of the show, you're right, like all of our main characters that like we've known and, and some that we've come to love they all disintegrate and that's seen as a generally hopeful thing yeah and you're left with the unlikely characters the the character i forget yeah. his name who's missing the eye Bowler. and hannah who is kind of the irredeemable character she's my least favorite which character. actually gay brought up a few weeks ago how gay brought she is similar to east of eden's kathy she totally is i thought mm-hmm. about that and so but i don't yeah. think of her as inherently evil that was my caveat yeah but the way her behavior and not only in initially but over the course of the different loops and in both worlds she's repeatedly making the same terrible yeah. mistakes and yet all of her mistakes are all of her her choices that she makes that drastically affect the lives of others, that is what intertwines so much of the familial yeah. ties. She's the mother of Jonas, but she's also the mother of, is it Silha? Silha? Silha. Yeah, who ends up being the great, great, great grandmother of Jonas. Yeah. So Hannah is actually not tied to Ulrich and this family tree in the bloodline, but she perpetuates the family from going forward in this web. That's what I love so much that she was one of the characters that got to exist at the end outside of the knot yeah. is because you get to see the change in her and all these other characters that were towards the end of their stories and these other worlds brutally killed. And all of those things were because of the choices and the consequences of other people in the knot. Like, for instance, in Hannah's story, she became this honestly terrible person because of the influence of Ulrich and that love triangle of Ulrich, Katarina, and Hannah. That's what made Hannah into the person she became across both stories and worlds. And so to see her freed from that poisonous kind of relationship, she is, I mean, from what we've been able to see in that final scene, not only a healthy person, but a very happy person. She's even teasing that she might name her son Jonas or whoever her child will be, could continue that legacy. Mm-hmm. I do wonder why in the other two universes, the other two worlds, why Adam ended up killing his mom, Hannah, in that scene. I still am a little bit fuzzy on why he did that, why he suffocated her. Other than that, it quote unquote needed to happen. Yeah, I feel like he sees himself at that point in his life as a slave to the cycle. Mm. Yeah. And that they're not supposed to be there at that point mm-hmm. in time. And also Jonas at that point, there's so much to say about worldly attachments in this specific group of people, but also in humanity in general, because you see these people, like you were just saying about Hannah, that she is, it's not necessarily because of Ulrich that she is the way that she is, but it's about these attachments, which she talks about at the end. She says she had this dream that she lost basically all of her worldly attachments and that she went into the state of nothingness where basically she didn't care anymore Mm. and that it was really peaceful for her. To be mm. in that state. And so I feel like you see the same thing with Jonas and you see the same thing with Marta is that they have these attachments to what they want. And I think that's where the determinism actually comes in. It's because at one point in the show, they have this quotation that basically says, we can control we can our will. We can do what we will, but we can't will what we will. But we can't <laughs> will what we want, basically, our desires. And so I feel like all of the characters in this show, they definitely have desires and wants, and those things lead them to what they are. And maybe they're controllable, maybe they're not. I don't know whether we control what we want. I think we control what we do based on what we want. But Hannah is one of those characters that is a slave to her desires and her desires for Ulrich and then her desires for revenge because she can't have Ulrich in reality, which is why I think that she is different than Kathy because Kathy doesn't know what she wants. Kathy? Um, Kathy from East of Eden. Oh. So 
<laughs> if you guys have ever read East of Eden, Kathy is this character who's almost like satanic. She's inherent darkness. In yeah. D&D terms, is she like morally... She's chaotic evil. She's chaotic evil. Chaotic right. evil. She could even be lawful evil, but she's just evil to the is core. Is she like the Joker in that way? Like chaos? She can't even be defined as a human because she doesn't know what she actually wants. I think in the same way that a character that's like... That's how the... I felt Hannah was, and that's why I really didn't like her. But she does know what she wants. She wants Ulrich for herself. Yeah. But I didn't think she'd be satisfied with that. Like, oh, we did see that alternate reality where she had Ulrich for herself, but then he cheated on her with somebody else. That's why I was saying after season two, the only character I want to have like a gnarly death scene is her. <laughs> like, and it's, <laughs> the, it's, which she it's the Game of Thrones in me, but I almost predicted, I was like, she's such a horrible person she made so many terrible choices and screwed so many people over i just wanted to see her have this game of thrones like death scene yeah did you feel satisfied in that respect no i was confused like i said why adam did that but what you said makes sense in my head it was maybe both a personal kind of a sense of retribution because towards the end of their time together i think Jonas had come to see hannah for who she really was in that world Mm. which was a kind of maybe he found out that information things that is still fuzzy. This is something I've talked about with Gabe and Bryce, but I really felt like the third season in of itself was rushed. I did some research today that they originally had planned to do more, and they stuffed everything into this season. Because in the first two seasons, they really take their time laying out the characters and the plot and what they're doing, and they Yes, they introduce interesting and heavier concepts, but you have time to kind of mull them over. In the third season, they ask you to believe a lot. There's so much information that is thrown at you that it it almost is a little bit blindsided. And they keep asking you to believe something new, and here's a new idea and a new idea. And I think it was all part of the plan not to all part of the yeah quote the joker but i think it just happened very quickly and because it happened so quickly it came off as a little jarring i think the idea of there being a parallel universe could have played out very well in season three and then the idea of there being a third prime world would have been like a good season four and they could have spent all the information they dumped on you in the episode seven of season three where they dumped okay here are all the connections in one episode probably could have been fleshed out really really well in a whole season that, that's a half a season right yeah, there. Exactly. Seven. Because of that, though, because of this rushing of season three, when they tried to explain the middle-aged Jonas to Adam transition, it didn't land for me. You did see the middle-aged Jonas in the Adam makeup where his face is all scarred, mm-hmm. but it didn't land for me in an emotional way where the rest of the show did land for me in an emotional way. And I found that happening on multiple occasions throughout season three the emotional beats weren't landing for me as much because of the rushing of it. like you should see Jonas have that moment of losing his faith. You know how Claudia is always telling him, don't lose faith. I feel like you don't get that transition point from his character as middle-aged Jonas and to Adam. And that's something you really felt you needed to see, especially in season two, where like, I remember we were talking before, yeah. like, I didn't believe that Jonas was Adam. Yeah, I... I, I didn't want to believe I thought they too. could have been tricking us. Yeah. yeah. You have to create a believable universe. Yeah, and what's crazy though is that there's so much information thrown at you in season three i didn't even think about that mm-hmm. that was one of my biggest yeah. things coming out of season two i was like oh i can't wait to see how Jonas gets to become adam yeah. or how he doesn't if it's not him. yeah yeah if it's and then else. like they didn't really should have sort of showed it by him getting zapped with electricity I mean, right. he literally just gets zapped by the machine once yeah and that's all of their explanation as to how he became to look mangled like adam mm. does Do you guys think that a work of art needs to be sufficient unto itself without further research? Like, um, it should be... Self-explaining? Yeah. Oh, no, not at all. Well, especially for this type of show, because we were all talking about how a lot of it we couldn't understand except for doing research on it, and I felt like... Do you feel like dark is palatable for the masses? No. It's not. Mm, I don't know. When watching it, I compare dark to a show like Westworld 
where I don't remember when it was in Westworld. I only watched the first two seasons, but there was a point where I just felt so stupid and I hated that. Like the show made me feel dumb mm -hmm. because I had no idea what was going on. I never actually felt that with Dark, even though like what's going on is like, you know, by comparison, like there's a lot more shit going on and it's like kind of way more confusing. But I felt that the pieces, and if I really unpacked it, like the pieces were there. In excluding the website resource that you can look at the family ties. I feel like the pieces were there and, and even if they weren't at the time, they didn't need to be yet. And they would come in time. I was always confident that because of the, the sort of trend that the show had set in the first season, at least, and maybe in the second season, of revealing perfect amounts of information and then answering it, I was always confident that I was never gonna end up confused. And that's why in the third season, when there was five episodes in a row of straight up confusion, I was a little bit taken aback. And I, I started to sort of second guess myself. I'm like, oh, is this show like bad now? It's not bad, but the third season did sort of take a step back in that regard. And then it revealed more information in episodes five, six, and seven that guided you in the right way. Mm -hmm. But I think it ended in a satisfying way. But I, like you said, I do think given another season, it would have had a lot more time to keep up that trend of revealing and not revealing information. Yeah, I personally was actually shocked by how they were going into characters that I thought their storylines were done. Yeah. For example, Ulrich, his whole storyline being in the past, done. I thought you could have completely moved on from his character, but they brought him back for like half the season in season three. And I was like, oh, cool, because I really like that character a lot because I got to see more of Ulrich, but I didn't need that. Like, I, I would have been happy with just him being stuck in the past and dying an old man. And he got to see his son, Mikkel, but then they went through the whole Katarina goes back in time and finds Ulrich and then and her mother kills her. I was a little bit confused by why they continued to kind of pound us with these characters that they could have moved on from and actually could have focused on the Jonas Marta story yeah. um, a little bit heavier and had a little bit more time and space to, no pun intended, to play in that world, also no pun intended. What do you guys think about the duality versus the, what is the word, tri, you know this word. The triketra. There's so much duality in the show that moves further. It's Claudia that basically says we need to move beyond the duality of light and dark versus a third dimension. She calls it the dimension. I think Adam calls it the triketra. I think they were setting that up from the beginning. I mean, the sic mundus creatus est, that whole Latin thing, and then the icon that is behind it is like a Trinity kind of logo. That they were setting it up that there was always going to be three and not two. Yeah. I really, really, really liked what they revealed in the last two episodes. It really was in the last episode that they revealed there's actually an Earth Prime. It's like everything happened in one episode. And I was actually hoping for a lot more of Claudia in season three. I was really interested to see how she became the white devil and yeah she was the most compelling and the old version of claudia didn't even show up till the last episode and i was so like bummed because she was one of the most compelling characters for me well and did you guys feel like you don't know who to believe a lot of the time yeah but i think yeah. that's the genius behind the show and that's why i liked it i was saying at the end of season two i don't think adam's the villain they're leading you to believe adam's yes. the villain but i don't think he's going to be the villain i think they're going to flip it and someone else is going to be the villain i'm thinking claudia was a yeah, time. and Claudia. Is there a villain in the show? Aside from time. Tom no, House. no. Ultimately, House. I would say Eve is probably the antagonist because the characters that we've been following became our protagonists. Yeah. But our protagonists were actually, they're all anti-heroes, where they're protagonists with flaws. But they're all the characters that we know and love. So the antagonist to all of our protagonists that we had come to know it was Eve, I think, and her crazy Trinitarian son. Yeah, especially because you see so many horrible things that happen as a result of this time cycle that they put themselves in. And Eve is trying to uphold that. And you see her son that she's trying to protect. He's sort of like the baddie of the third season, even though we don't really know who or like what he is for a long time. But she's trying to uphold that, and that's like a little off-putting. And even though what Adam's trying to do is delete everything and mm -hmm. end the world, something within us, I saw that as a noble cause somehow, because he wants to end the suffering. Even you know? though he was killing people. Even though he was killing people. It was that whole still... Dexter scenario where you're like, yeah. is yeah. this okay that I'm glad that these people are dying? Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that goes with what I was saying is that time is actually the 
villain of the show and Eve is going along with time and wanting to perpetuate the cycle of time that they're in. But Eve was the only one keeping the cycle going and continuing against Adam's will of trying to end it, which was the goal. I mean, at, at a certain point, it went from them trying to stop the quote-unquote apocalypse, which we haven't even mentioned yet, by the way, Yeah. Um, to him trying to end the cycle. <laughs> well, and she is under the guise of light, and Adam is supposed to be the dark, but I think the thing about this show is that you're supposed to embrace the dark in the sense that mm. that's the nihilism of the show, is that the death to self and also the death to the whole entire cycle is the thing that you're supposed to embrace. I like the introduction of the third world because it does add depth to this two-dimensional idea of everything, of morality, of reality. We were just talking at the beginning about a character like Hannah, how she seems very two-dimensional initially, and then you see her in the prime world and she is completely new. I like to think of things in threes rather than in twos, (laughs) personally. That's true, you do. That worked for me. I always come to you on a very personal note. And I go, give me a different idea than the idea that I'm thinking right now. Because I can't see outside of my, my own ideas. There is room to think of things in black and white. And there is room to think of things at a more uh, in-depth level with complexity. We live in a world that is so segmented into extremes. And there is so little room to find a balance or a point where things can come together. That's what the third world in dark represented for me, is there is a place where... You know, the prime world isn't perfect, but it is free of this knot, of this metaphysical rot that has infested this universe. Which kind of goes back to determinism. And is it that hellish knot because everything's determined in the characters? Like for Adam, he just sees perpetual suffering happen over and over again. And so in the third world, is it not a hell because free will actually can exist? And if you consider the third world in the context of the show to be Claudia's world and her storyline coming to a close, it is a world of hope and of life because Claudia's entire motivation over the course of the show was singularly to save the life of her daughter. And she figured out how to do that through her exploitation of the time loop. And you see they're living happily in the prime world. Hmm. Claudia is one of those characters that also seeks to understand. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, she is really the avenue towards getting out of this loop because she's constantly trying to find not only a way out, but just understanding of what's going on in general. So she's not clouded by some of the same things that other characters are clouded by. I think she can see with love, but also she sees reason in the sense that she is constantly seeking to understand and transcend certain things Mm. and even go against some of her own desires. Like that moment that she has where she realizes that her daughter will continue to die in both of these parallel universes that gives her the insight into the primary because she's willing to move past the fact that her daughter's dying for a greater cause to see what's beyond that and that's why she's really the catalyst of the whole entire show and what leads them out of the loop in, in general for sure i think she's probably my favorite character that's why i wanted more of her and i really thought that there would be more of her in season three but i loved how I mean, it was you that was telling me before I finished season three, you're like, Claudia realizes three things. She realizes she's not part of the... Part of the knot. The knot. She realizes that... There was a... There's a third world that exists. Yeah. And then there's a third thing, I can't remember. It was the way to exploit. She realizes, and it's, I think, even made known to the viewer before it is to Claudia over a radio transmission early in season three, that there was a moment at the inception of this event caused by the prime world where the world seemed to stop rotating or something. Oh, yeah. For a fraction of a second. And so she's able to, through time travel, exploit that fraction of a second to make a different decision than what was preordained or predestined or determined. That happens at the crux of the apocalypse, and we see several times in season three. The term they use for it is the quantum entanglement, which is actually the incorrect use of the term. Quantum entanglement is something different. Loosely based in science. Yes. That's the Schrodinger's cat thing, though. For a split second, matter has multiple different Everything exists at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That, to me, even apart from the show Dark, 
like just on a personal level. I love that idea of everything existing at once. It's basically like, a multiverse theory, right? Uh, yeah. We, we talked about this on a different podcast for a second, but, but yeah, Claudia, I was really looking forward to having more of, and she was the catalyst, which is why I put her in as the third main character. It was kind of genius because the first two seasons, you kind of are thinking, is it Adam or Claudia that's right? And it ends up being, they're both working toward the exact same goal. But Claudia just gets one leg up on Adam and comes to him in the last episode of the third season, the finale of the whole show, and says, you still don't understand how the game is played. And then she reveals to him that there's a third prime world and this is what you have to do to fix it. In the end, it ended up being there working together for the quote unquote protagonist goal um, against the what I have been calling the antagonist of Eve. like to also say that I would not be an English teacher if I didn't think of T.S. Eliot when watching this show. (laughs) In The Four Quartets, he has this quote where he says, time present and time past are both perhaps present in time future, and time future contained in time past. If all time is eternally present, all time is unredeemable. What might have been is an abstraction remaining a perpetual possibility only in a world of speculation. What might have been and what has been point to one end which is always present. Basically what he's saying is that all time is present. So what's in time past and what's in time future is present now. And there's some sort of dance of all of those things in one. Time is a flat circle. I also want to say a little bit about the cinematography, as I said, I would talk about that a little bit. It has a very distinct visual style that is extremely cinematic with, with beautiful framing in almost every shot. Each shot looks almost like a piece of art rather than a simple frame of a motion picture. The cinematographer's name is Nicolas Sommerer. Imagine summer and then add an extra er on the end. So summer-er. And the color palette is dark no pun intended, and bleak with very, very heavy blacks, which means that they literally take all the shadows and the blacks on screen and pull them down. And what that does is it contrasts everything. It's very rich. Yeah. Certain tones, though, are really, really emphasized, like yellows. Every single world, I notice that yellows are always emphasized. You obviously notice it in the beginning when they have Jonas's yellow jacket as a contrast to this like bleak, gray, rainy world that they live in in Wyndon. Right. But you even see that in like the sort of brightness of the 1980s. You see yellow, you see warmth in the second world, and then you see it even more in the prime in world. In the prime world, right. when you start to see the new aspect ratio, yeah, the two yeah. to one. I agree. And the shot timing, often long and drawn out, but they're always engaging, which is something to say about the editing. It always keeps the viewer on their toes. It never actually feels slow. It always feels like it's building a suspense and a tension. It always feels dynamic to me as well. So many of the shots are slowly panning or zooming to enrich the moment because, for instance, a lot of scenes in the series are like montage. That was actually my one thing about the show that I did not like was every single episode was a music montage for about two or three minutes. You saw a song play with the characters doing something that change the course of their paths in that episode. But I think it's sort of a nice trope that the show develops that like you it. sort of expect the montage. As a viewer, I'm like, is this is this a German filmmaking thing? This isn't landing on me. Yeah. I think it's just a uh, part of melodrama. Oh, here's the parasite yeah, you, guy. You right have here. this like crescendo Car- and then Korean and then you have melodrama. this silence and then the end of the episode has these changes. I think it's a good pause point to digest too as you're seeing the visuals. And then also like the backdrop and what I mean by that is it's not just the situations that the characters are in or the actions of the characters, but the backdrops and like the environment that they're actually in often makes for this claustrophobic or this somber kind of setting. Like in the woods, it always feels like they're in this sort of off brown or black and white trees and they're running through the woods often or the cave. And these lines and these edges often lead your eyes to look for these focal points that are always making you feel a little bit claustrophobic which is alluding to the theme of the quote-unquote dark or the darkness in the show you'd think that you know all these characters are placed in like kind of eerie settings 
all the time. They're always walking through this horribly scary forest, yet nothing really scary ever happens in the forest. Right. If it was Stranger Things, there would be like a demogorgon in the forest. Totally. But it's dark. And yeah. nothing from the forest is ever going to be the scary thing. The scary thing is that time is always present yeah. and that it's always like creeping up on you. And that's sort of what the show tries to hammer in by showing those moments of people in scary situations, but nothing happening. 100%. I spent a lot of time in the first season for that reason, before we knew what the show was really about. Concerned that there might be a monster around any corner. Yeah, I spent true. a lot of time yeah. in the first season just... My eyes were peering in on the background of every shot, waiting for something to be just barely in frame, like Slender Man or something was around the corner. <laughs> Slender Man. It was very concerning. In the first season, doesn't Jonas see a yeah. vision of his dead in father? In the first episode. And yes. that's right after he comes back from the mental health institute that he was at after his dad committed yes. suicide. And so there's also this idea of where is Jonas's mind? as well like what yes. where's his sanity and, and how much are you even seeing from, the, from his perspective exactly even from the yeah. the very beginning i was gonna say too like the woods being a symbol of the unknown and even like going back to the hero's journey that you guys talked about in the star wars episode the woods or the forest is often used as symbolically that period of going through the trials and going through the tribulations before one can become actualized it almost feels like the show is perpetually in that stage of the hero's journey and we're craving that actualization point for these characters mm. but we're just sitting in this place of, of darkness mm. over and over again and we never really reach that actualization for most of them which is interesting but it's somehow still a satisfying conclusion I don't know how, but it's satisfying that we see every character cease to exist. Pretty much every character. It's like putting someone out of their misery in a way. Yes. It becomes <laughs> very apparent throughout the whole show that like, well, this, this time loop that everybody's stuck in is causing a great deal of pain that right. doesn't need to happen. Yeah. I don't know. I was kind of hoping that Jonas and Marta, was, they were going to start their own like paradise, you know, in Live this on in random another world. realm. You yeah, know? they did start to drop those hints of Just paradise. A, like a postal service, brand new colony. Exactly. It's a yeah. brand new colony. Did you guys think there was a possibility at the end when they finally averted the crisis of the prime world that they might be able to live on in that world? Because I wasn't sure up until the moment they started to Avengers Endgame away. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel so good, Mr. Jonas. You shouted out the cinematography. I'd like to just shout out the composer real quick. Well, I was going to, can I just piggyback off of you and say that yeah. part of the tone of the show and that what enhanced the cinematography is the music and the sound design as well. Well, initially from the very first episode when I watched it, I was immediately drawn in by the tone and the style of the show that the creators had established. And like you said, the cinematography was a huge part of that, the richness of the imagery and the, the actors and the camera work and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But also, like you said, the sound design and the soundtrack for the show are the such o a huge part. The OST. Exactly. The original soundtrack by Ben Frost. Ben Frost has an extensive catalog of work of this sort of haunting and eerie soundscape design. So I thought it was incredible that they brought him in. I didn't even recognize him when I started watching Dark. Uh, I knew some of his stuff beforehand, like Theory of Machines, some of his more popular works. He did such an incredible job, like you said, not just composing the soundtrack, but the trifecta of soundtrack, sound design. You know, we've talked about diegetic sound before right. on the show. Right, in Midsommar and Lighthouse. It's so incredibly eerie. And on the third, keeping in our theme of threes for the evening, the song selection for the series was also very interesting on, and on point, especially for separating time periods. In the 80s timeline, even from the first or second episode, when we see the kids in the bunker, there's that song. You could probably pull it up in the edit and put, just put it in there. There's that song. Oh, yeah. I didn't show you about That kind of groovy 80s yeah, track creepy with 80s the girl track. singing. Yeah. And she's singing. The, the translation is something like sometime, somehow, some way. It moves into the theme of the show yeah. through Most the lyrics. Most of the songs are about time. I was just so happy when they brought Tears for Fears on the show. Tears for oh, Fears. Shout. So good. It was a shout, right? Yeah. yeah. I have a question. Why does Claudia disintegrate at the end? That's alternate Claudia. Yeah, alternate oh, the whole Claudia. world ends. Claudia Prime still exists. Both worlds end. Okay, so it's because the worlds are ending. Yeah. Not because Claudia as a person is ending? 
that version of Claudia is ending. But Claudia still exists in the primary world. Yeah. 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 With no knowledge of everything that happened. You see her in a picture frame, her with her daughter. Also interesting to note, her daughter, Regina, doesn't have cancer in the prime world. Mm -hmm. Because the power plan... One thing that we haven't said is that the only reason the power plan exists was because the Trinitarian son... That was the father of all things. Made it so that the power plant existed. Do you remember when he went to kind of corner that person in their car, like back in the 50s or 40s or whatever? I think it was the 50s. He forced them to sign that contract and said, I'll pay you more money. That was to green light the building the of production, the, the production yeah. of yeah. the power plant. So the, the, old, the, the reason the power plant exists is because... Eva willed it so. Which brings me back to, I feel... Like I'm having deja vu. What do you mean? A glass in the matrix. A glass in the matrix. dream last night where everything was disintegrating into nothingness and it was so peaceful that scene that scene at the end that very last scene showed this prime world like a new beginning of sorts that moment where hannah describes her dream was just so quaint it seemed quaint It it was just really hopeful for this new world to come and i thought the show ended perfectly honestly even though it did seem a bit rushed i thought they really did the best they could with right. three seasons yeah that last scene between marta and Jonas, i was emotional you were hoping that they would make it through because you like those characters so much yeah i felt like they deserved some happiness by the end of it yeah i agree i'd say most people watch the show and don't like to see where they both end up they don't like to see adam and ava but they like Jonas and marta and the third world gave the option, especially the talk of paradise in the past episodes before the end, mm. it gave the possible option for, you know, a happily ever after with Jonas and Marta rather than Adam and Ava. Yeah, quick shout out to Bartos, by the way. Bartosz. 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 Who we haven't mentioned, but I love the, I love the character of Bartos. He's great. I, I thought he was Adam at first. I just want to point out that it's it's so hard to write time travel effectively. Like, as a writer, yeah. you you really have to be good at things, but yeah. you're always going to have, like, a little bit of a glitch in the Matrix when you write about time travel. What's I feel like capacitor. I'm having deja vu right now. What do you mean? <laughs> I wish we could have seen more of the origin. He was the most menacing figure I can remember in, in recent memory. Like, a, just a, a figure of pure darkness. I'd like to see how he came to be what he is, how he became to be a figure of evil. Also, what it's... happened to that guy's eye? Waller. <laughs> or his arm. Or his arm. I know, that's such a great <laughs> recurring joke in the show. That I they, love that They still didn't explain that in the last episode, yeah, the, the way last they, scene. The way they did that was perfect. This where he's about nice... to explain what happened, and then there's the power outage. Any last final words of Dark? You gotta watch it. Yeah. Everyone should watch it. It's Watch it in German. Watch the sub, not the dub. Yeah, yeah. sub, not dub. Sub it up, don't dub it up. Subs, not dub, dub. Subs, not dub. Sub it up, dub. Three men in a tub. Three men in a tub. <laughs> you can't fit that many men in a tub. I don't know, Gabe. We could fit in a tub pretty well. Well, we have a tub. We could figure that out. <laughs> but really, honestly. I think the, the reason this show is so good, to me at least, and probably I, I assume at least to you, Gabe, because like, we've talked about this stuff, like... It just seems so well thought out. I don't like a lot of things because they seem lazy. And and this is the exact opposite of lazy. Even if there was some liberties taken in the third season, the whole show is just so tactful. And, And you can tell that the creators had a very clear vision from the very start. And it was good. It stands apart from all the trends and the content that is bombarding us these days. And Gabe and I have talked about this before. When Netflix is looked back upon in hindsight, Dark might go down as the best, if not one of the top five best shows that Netflix ever made. Well, you know, that's actually what made me watch it. I mean, there was Gabe's recommendation, but I think Rotten Tomatoes did like a bracket on Instagram. Mm. And... uh, 
it, it won over all these like Netflix shows that everybody regards, and and um, Dark was on top. As I it think. Praise be. be, praise be. This is an invitation into something. You more. gotta put your phone down when you watch this show. Good show. Good show. Yeah. The creators are developing another project for Netflix because yeah, they signed Dark a contract, was... I think, with Netflix to create a few more projects. That's awesome. What's that baseball movie with the aliens that we all Science? love? Independence Day? No. It starts with an I, though. Field of Dreams. Angels no. in the Outfield. <laughs> no, it's the aliens movie where they're in a third dimension oh, and no, it's, it's all about love. Oh, no, it's definitely Field of Dreams. Is it the one with Dennis Quaid? <laughs> Come on, you guys. It's a baseball movie the rookie. with aliens? The Rookie. No, there's what are you ba- talking about? There's baseball. Angels minimally. in the Outfield. But it, there's definitely like Interstellar. Thank you. Are you feeling okay? But in Interstellar, <laughs> it's <yes>. a ba- <laughs> Interstellar. <laughs> Guys, everybody, Interstellar is a baseball movie with aliens. And there's not even aliens in Interstellar. <laughs>